day from Romans chapter 12, verses 14 to 16. Paul says this, and this is some difficult teaching today that Paul is giving us. But it is possible through the Holy Spirit. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Lord, help us today to hear from You. Lord, help us today to respond to You. And Father, most of all, help us today to leave here today growing closer to You and living for You in this dark and lost world. Help us to shine our lights brightly. And we give You the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. I saw this little illustration in the Daily Bread. If you remember those little devotionals called Daily Bread. From time to time I still look at those and, and I found this. I'm not sure when it was dated, but I thought it was really a, a good point that is made here and I think it leads in well to the message. This writer said this. He said, Both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over our nation's deserts. He said, all the vultures see is dead, rotting meat because that's what they look for. They thrive on that diet. He says, but hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they look for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. The vultures fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But hummingbirds live on what is new. Each bird finds what it is looking for. We all do. The title of my message today is, How's Your Attitude? I want us to take a check on our attitudes and maybe have the Holy Spirit give us an attitude adjustment. Because sometimes we all need that. I found that myself, last week, because of so much going on, I felt like I was overwhelmed and overloaded and I felt myself having a bit of a short fuse and I had to stop several times and have still had to stop and say I need an attitude adjustment my attitude has not been where it needs to be my attitude has not been an attitude of gratitude it has not been an attitude of joy and I recognized that and I needed to ask and continue to ask God to help me to do better with that And so I think that if we're honest, as we look at these things, all of us from time to time need that Holy Spirit attitude adjustment, okay? And so as we look at the things that Paul lists in this section of Scripture, it may just seem kind of hodgepodge. It may seem like they don't really fit together. But I think the key to all of these statements is, in fact, our attitude, how we approach these things. Now, obviously, even with a good attitude, these things cannot be attained without the Holy Spirit enabling us to do so. I'm not saying that if you just have a good attitude, this isn't a self-help positive image kind of message uh, that that's all you need is to just speak good words and have good happy thoughts and everything will fall into place. But what I am saying is, if we have the joy of the Lord in our hearts, and if we have a hope that passes all understanding, then our attitudes ought to reflect that. Now sometimes our circumstances in life, as I said, for me this week was a hectic, busy time, and I allowed those things to kind of push down the joy in my heart. But we all fall into that place sometimes. But the good thing is we don't have to stay there. And we shouldn't stay there. 
And so I want us to look at some things that Paul says here, and I want to try to make application to us. The first thing that he tells us in verse 14 is that we are to bless those who persecute you. And then he kind of reiterates it again and says, Bless and do not curse them. Now, we often say when it comes to persecution that in some senses it's kind of difficult for us in America to really talk about persecution because let's be honest, we're really not persecuted compared to our brothers and sisters in foreign lands. Like if I said, let's compare my persecution this week with the Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Which one do you think had a more difficult week? Right? It's almost, and it almost seems silly sometimes or, or foolish for us to even mention it. But I think that it's important that we do recognize that even though we are blessed in America to not suffer the extreme persecution yet that they do in other countries, I think it's important that we recognize that there is persecution for all of us to some degree. And I don't think we should gloss over it because when it comes, we need not say, well, it's not Afghanistan. We need to understand that we are being persecuted, maybe some more than others, and we need to know how to handle it when it comes, even if it seems minor compared to others. So how do we handle it? Well, Paul says that what we need to try to do when those things come is to bless those that persecute them. Bless them and don't curse. Now, what that really boils down to is this. When we bless someone, we are seeking their good. We are seeking the greater good. I thought a lot about that verse this week because I thought, now, when someone does me wrong, my natural inclination is to get angry. Maybe that's just me. But my pride takes a hit. And I think, how dare you do that to me as though I'm someone special that deserves some kind of better treatment. But I think for a lot of us, we probably feel the same way. Our first thought is not, thank you for persecuting me. How can I make you have a better day? I don't think we, we view it that way. But the idea is when someone persecutes us, how can we think and even act for their better good? What can we do there? I tried to, I tried to prayerfully reflect on that and, and seek the Scriptures on what that might look like from a biblical perspective and even a realistic perspective for us. And I think that this might be the answer to that. How can we bless someone who is persecuting us? Especially if the one doing the persecution is an unbeliever. Especially if they're lost. Number one, I would say this. The reason that we can bless someone that persecutes us is because if we're Christians, we have already experienced the life-changing love of Jesus in our lives. And if we have experienced the love of Jesus whom, by the way, we persecuted before we were saved. You say, well, how is that? We rebelled against the Lord Jesus Christ when we were lost. We cared nothing about His Word. We cared nothing about His thoughts or His ways. It was all about us. And maybe we even blasphemed His name. Maybe we used His name as a cuss word. Maybe our life and our example encouraged others to sin all the more. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible does speak on that. When you indulge in sin, and the world today says, well, I'm not hurting anybody else. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Especially as a believer. Because when you live a worldly lifestyle, and your lost friends are watching, they say, well, they're a Christian, and if they can live that way, why do I need to even become a Christian? 
I can just keep on doing what I want because if she's okay, if he's okay, I'm obviously okay because I'm better than them. You're contributing or helping them, even though they're wrong, you're helping them to justify their sinful, unrepentant lifestyle. If you've experienced the love and salvation of Jesus Christ, you ought to understand what forgiveness really looks like. You ought to understand what true love really looks like. And you ought to offer that to everyone. Not just those that deserve it. Now, it's easier to give it to the people that deserve it. It's a lot easier to love somebody back that loves you than to love somebody that's persecuting you. Right? But God doesn't make distinctions. He says, love your neighbor, and He says, love your enemies. And there's no escape clause in either one of them. Because your neighbor is your enemy. You see? You've got to view it from the Word of God, not what we in our flesh think or want to do. We've experienced the love of Jesus Christ and His forgiveness, so we ought to offer it to others. Number two, we also as believers understand the wrath of God. We understand the wrath of God and the ramifications that come with rejecting Jesus Christ and what eternity apart from Him really looks like. We understand that there's a hell. Many people today won't preach on it. They don't mention it. They don't want to scare anybody or frighten anybody and they don't want to run visitors off. I'm sorry, but it's in the Bible and you will hear it here. There is a place called hell that God made for the devil and his angels, but because man rebelled and man has sinned and man is separated from God, if you stay lost in your sins and separated from Him, eternity in hell will be your final place. The Bible declares that. That is not a message to scare you into submission. That is a warning that the Bible says without Jesus you're condemned already. Like, we're not waiting to get to the end of the game and see if the scales balance out. We're not going to stand before God and say, here's my good and here's my bad, which one was better. We're not going to stand before God and say, I did a lot of good things. I remember when I volunteered all week at VBS and I did so much good stuff there and I brought in change for missions and I did all this and I showed up to church and I sang in the choir. I even stood in the pulpit and preached, God, don't I deserve heaven? He's going to say, what have you done with my son? What have you done with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? That is the question that all of us will be judged by. Are you bearing the weight of your sins or did Jesus bear the weight for you? We understand that our God is a loving and forgiving God, but He is a holy God and He is a just God. And He will not overlook or excuse your sin. And when someone that is lost persecutes us, We understand the condemnation that they are under. We understand the seriousness of them. And rather than want our rights and want our revenge now, we ought to say that person is lost and hell-bound. And rather than me get puffed up and try try to drive home my point, I am going to love them. I am going to show them grace because I don't want them to die lost. You understand the seriousness that lies in a lost person's life and the urgency of them to receive Jesus before it's too late. And that ought to drive us to bless those who persecute us. And finally, as believers, we understand the blessed hope that we have. We understand that through Jesus Christ, heaven is our home. That He has forgiven our sins, that He has gone away to prepare a place for us, and He will come again and receive us unto Himself, that where He is we may also be. 
We understand that. That is the hope that gets us through the darkest of days. That is the bomb that heals our wounds when this world is pressing in on us. Guys, there are days that I long to go home, but what keeps me pressing on is knowing that I have work to do for the Lord Jesus Christ, and one day I'll see that treasure laid up in heaven, that my crown will be laid at His feet, and I'll see Him face to face, and I will be known even as He is known. That is where our hope lies. And because we have a living hope, because we know Jesus, and we know that this life is temporary, we know that life is like a vapor. It's here for a little while and it's gone. That person that's persecuting us is in danger of eternity apart from God. And so we can lay aside our temporary hurts in this life for the good of someone else to receive Jesus and have an eternal home with Him. Those things, the love and forgiveness of God, the seriousness of a life separated from Him, and the hope that we have in Jesus ought to compel us and ought to enable us that when someone persecutes us to look beyond ourselves, to check our attitude at the door and say, this person's soul is more important than me getting the last word. That person's soul is more important than me proving a point. That person's soul is more important than me being right. Do you understand that we have got to check our attitude? So I would label this first one, we need to have an eternal attitude. Our attitudes ought to be focused on eternity more than just now. Because when we're focused on just now, we will be awful concerned about how we are treated. And the Bible says that as believers, we are not going to be treated well by the world. And that is going to be a constant battle for you. It's going to be a constant discouragement for you. It's going to be a constant hindrance to you until you get it into your mind that this is not your home. You're just passing through. And so while you're passing through, you need to shine your light as bright as you can so that others will follow you into that eternal city. That's the idea. And we have to check our attitudes at the door and realize what are we living for. As Francis Chan said, is what we are living for worth Christ dying for? That's a good question that we ought to ask sometimes. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Unconditional clause right there. If you want to live for Jesus, you will be persecuted. You have got to decide if you really believe what's in this book, And if you believe what's in this book and you stand on it, you will lose friends, you will lose family, you may lose a lot of other stuff, but you will not lose your salvation. You will not lose the joy and the pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ when you stand before Him to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We don't go out and intentionally try to make enemies. We don't intentionally go out and try to be divisive. But the Word of God is divisive. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing dividing is the next word in that in, in, in the book of Hebrews. And so you see that it's going to happen. Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, I said to you again, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Over and over, that is the command that God gives us and that is an attitude that can only come from the new birth and a mind that is being transformed. Friends, don't just love people that love you back. Love your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. I'm going to move on to verse 15. You might think, I'm glad we got through that one. That was the hard one. Now we get to get into some stuff that I can do. Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. You think, well, I can do that. 
When somebody's on the mountaintop, I'll be there cheering them on. When somebody's in the valley, I'll be there weeping with them. But I don't think it's as easy as we might think. Because the second attitude adjustment that I think we need, the first one was we need an eternal attitude. This one is we need a selfless attitude. We need a selfless attitude. You'll see that some of these intertwine. But here's the thing. First and foremost, you can't rejoice or weep with someone that you don't know or know anything about. Like you can, in generalities, can. You can go up and embrace someone and let them know that whatever they're going through, you're happy or sad. But if you really want to enter into an intimate, deep place with people and really minister to them on a deeper level, you've got to know them. You've got you to enter into their life. And here's what happens. We think, oh my goodness, did you hear about so-and-so and what they're going through? I sure hope somebody helps them. That's what we say. I hope somebody helps them. What about you? Well, I would love to, but I'm just so busy. You see? And, and I'm not saying that we're not. But I'm saying to really get down under the surface and meet needs and help people it is going to require time. It is going to require effort and energy. It does get messy. And a lot of people, when they hear that part of it, they're like, no, nah, it's not for me. I'll pray for you from a distance. I'll give to the church so the church can help you. But as for me, no thank you. And sometimes it's not your job, or you're not, not your ability, I should say, to do it. But there are times when God puts that person on your heart. And when He puts that person on your heart, you shouldn't go to George and say, hey, George, have you ever thought about going and talking to so-and-so? Well, George will probably gladly do that. I'm sure he will gladly do that. I would and many others would. But if that person's on your heart, you should do that. You should do that. God has laid that person there for you. So we have got to set ourselves aside to be able to rejoice with people and to weep with people. We have got to make sure that it's not always about us. And what we want to do. And if there's anything left over, then we'll help, then we'll give, then we'll go. We have got to put ourselves aside a little bit more. And that's not easy, especially in our culture today. Where number one is all everybody really thinks about, it seems like, sometimes. And so a selfless Christ-like attitude is going to make you stand out. It's going to make you different. And the world will take notice. If you want people to have what you have, they're going to look at you and say, either... I want that, or they're going to say, boy, that person's a hypocrite. I don't want anything to do with that. They're going to say one of two things. And if we want to be like Jesus, one of the greatest examples that Jesus gave us is the way that He served others. He said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Think about that. The Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. That's a profound statement. The God that formed the world, came here. The God that formed you and formed the disciples came and served them. What makes it so difficult? What makes it so difficult for us to do that? I think that, I think that rejoicing with people is actually harder than weeping with people. And you say, well, why, why would you say that? Well, here's why I think that. Because we can cheer people on on the outside and have jealousy and envy in our hearts while we're clapping our hands. We can say, I am so happy for you. 
And in our minds, we're thinking, I deserve that. Why did they get recognized and I didn't? Why did they get the promotion and I didn't? Why did they get the raise and I didn't? Now, And again, maybe you do deserve those things from an earthly perspective. But our Heavenly Father, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, the Bible says. God is the one that ultimately gifts us and blesses us with everything we have. So we need not question Him. He will do what is right. He will do what is best. And I think that the rejoicing part is difficult, not on the outside, but on the inside. And that's what we're really looking at today. Do we have a selfless attitude? Are you really glad that somebody got something better than you? Are you really okay with that? You should be as a believer. Because God will provide for your needs. God, if you humble yourselves, the Bible says He will exalt you in due time. When He's ready, your time will come around. And if it doesn't, you've got eternity awaiting for you. Maybe that person doesn't. All the treasure that I have here on earth is just going to be a big bonfire someday. I kid with Brother George. We both had, well, he had a Mustang. He already got rid of it and got something else, I think. Or did you still got it? He still got it. For now, he still got it. If anybody wants a Mustang, see George after church. Try to put a plug in for you. Um, if you want two of them, you can come see me and I'll sell you mine too. Maybe we can work out a, a package deal, George. But we all enjoy things. But at the end of the day, all my, all my hope and all my pleasure and all my joy is not wrapped up in that car in the garage. Because someday I'm going to die, and if that thing's still sitting there, Emily's going to put it on eBay and try to get a few bucks out of it, and it'll be gone. She don't want it. She don't want any of my junk. And, she, and your family probably don't want your junk. When you, when you die, when you die, there's going to be a big auction, a big garage sale, and the rest of it's going to be on Coleraine Avenue in the big dump. I'm just being honest with you guys. We spend our whole lives chasing after stuff that's important to us, but most of the time nobody else could care less. But the stuff that we lay up in heaven is going to matter. The stuff that we put in heaven is going to last. When you die, the U-Haul is not going to go up to glory with you, but what you set aside up there will be waiting. And that's what matters. It's what matters. And so we rejoice with others because we're genuinely glad to see them be blessed. Because we have a proper perspective about stuff. And that stuff really doesn't matter. If we have people that we love and we have a Savior that loves us, we're rich. We are rich. And not only that, but it says that weeping with others when they weep. And I thought a lot about that. And I think as a pastor, you think a lot about that. Because you get to experience both. I've rejoiced with you in this church and others outside this church. I have been there for the birth of your children. For some of you, I have been blessed to be able to join you together in marriage. I have seen the victories in your life and been a part of that. Being a pastor and celebrating with you is one of the greatest things that we get to do. But one of the hardest things that we also have to do is weeping with you. I've walked through some dark times with many of you. I've walked through the death of family members. I've walked through separations and divorces. I've walked through addictions that your family has went through. It's not always easy. And I want you to learn this because it's something that it took me a while to learn. When you weep with someone who's weeping, there's no mention of saying any words there, is there? You're just doing an action. That person's crying, and you're crying right along with them. Because in moments of grief, what I have found is, People don't care really what you have to say. They just care that you're there. They just care that you were there for them. That's what's most important. There is a book that was written. I've not read this. I just got the quote from it. It's called The Last Thing We Talk About by the guy named David Cook. And he said this, and man, this is perfect for this verse. He said, I was sitting, torn by grief, 
Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things that I knew were true. He says, but I was unmoved. All I wished was that that person would go away. And he finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask me any questions. He just sat beside me for an hour and more and listened when I said something. He answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. He said, I was moved. I was comforted. And I hated to see him go. Your presence sometime is what's most needed. Can we, re- we rejoice with people that are rejoicing? Can we weep? We have to have a selfless attitude to do both. Let's move on to verse 16 and we'll come down to the end of this thing here. He first says that we need to live in harmony with one another. I love how the King James puts this first part of this verse. It says, be of the same mind toward another. Have the same mind toward another. Live in harmony with one another. Paul says this many times. He has a lot to say, as do the Scriptures, about unity, about living together in harmony. In Philippians 2.2, Paul says this. He says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What a great summary statement of how we as believers ought to do life together. This is a great challenge to the church, any church. Have the same mind. Have the same love. Be in one accord. You say, well, we're all different. How is that possible? It's wonderful that we're different. I'm glad that we aren't all identical. That would be scary if you were all like me. What a mess we would be in, correct? You say, hey, man, it's okay. I won't get mad. There you go. There you go. And so listen, we're different. God created us to be different on the inside and on the outside to some degree. But what unites us is the Lord Jesus Christ. What unites us is our faith. What unites us is our purpose. Those are the things that unite us. And if Jesus is first, and if our mission is to go and reach others, and we set ourselves aside, then we ought to be unified. Sure, we might have questions about the how do we get there, but at the end of the day, we're all striving to get to the same place. We want Jesus to be known. We want Jesus to be reflected in our lives. We want to go out and tell the world the truth. We may have different ways of doing that, and that's okay. Some of you are passionate about children's ministry. Some of you may have senior ministries. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the same point. You see? And so we let the secondary things, the how-tos, get us all mad at each other and fighting amongst each other. And if we would just pump the brakes and back up a little bit and say, hey, we're going the same way. We have the same mind and the same desires. We may just see different ways of doing it. But let's not let that divide us. Because we're working for the same Lord. We're desiring to exalt the same Savior. And that takes an attitude that says, I'm going to unify rather than divide. You need to have a unifying attitude. That doesn't mean you accept anything. If it's unbiblical, we can't accept it. The world wants us to accept everything. And if we don't, we're hate-filled bigots. But that's not biblical. That's not truth. That's not even love. That's just a subjective mind that says, you do your thing, I'll do my thing with no thought of consequences or eternity. If I love you and I know there's consequences, if I love you and know that there's ramifications, how can I not warn you? 
How can I not tell you if I truly love you? To let you go off in your sin and die lost would be the most unloving thing that I could possibly do. You see? And so we have to have a unifying attitude, but it has to be rooted in the Word of God. It has to be biblical in what we're doing. And one of the biggest problems we face today, especially in our culture, is that we have lost the ability to disagree with people. Everyone today has an opinion, which is fine, but the problem is everybody thinks their opinion is right. And people have become unteachable. Listen, to have a unifying attitude means, number one, that you're not always right, and number two, you don't always get your way. We ought to try to strive to work together more rather than just be right and have it our way all the time. It's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to voice your opinion. But at the end of the day, your opinion may not win out. And that's okay if you have this unifying attitude. Not only does Paul tell us to live in harmony with one another, but look at what else he says in verse 16. He says, don't be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. That takes a servant attitude. You have to have an attitude that says, I'm willing to serve, and I'm willing to do for others. Do you notice in that verse, it says, do not be haughty, but associate. Do you see that there? Associate with the lowly in the ESV. That word associate means to be carried away. Like if you jumped out into the waves and they just carried you away, or you had something caught in the wind and it blew it away. That's what that word is saying. It's saying to be carried away with the lowly. What is Paul saying there? I believe he's saying this on two levels. On a personal level and then on the way that we do things. But number one, I think he's saying that there shouldn't be anything that's beneath you. I think he's saying that there should not be anything that is beneath you. I want to share a story, and I please understand, I'm not saying this because I want to make this about me in any way, shape, or form. But I think this is a good story that illustrates this point. We used to serve on Saturdays at New Life Mission. We would go down there and we would make the meals and serve the lunches. And so when Felix and Kim Russo took over as directors, they were in the process of redoing the building. It had kind of fallen into disrepair and needed some work done. So they were stripping the floor and re-waxing it, painting walls, doing a big cleaning, all kinds of stuff. So on our Saturday when we showed up, the building was closed and we were just going to clean that day. And there was another church that had also been booked. So when we got there, that church was already running around busy doing a thousand things. And so we showed up and we were like, well, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. So I went to the, to the man that was, the, I don't know if he was a pastor or whoever he was, but he was kind of directing his people. And I said, hey, we're from such and such church. We're here to help. What would you like us to do? And he's like, if you don't care, could you go and clean that front bathroom? It's a mess. And I said, sure. So I got the cleaning stuff. I went in there and was cleaning the toilets and the sink and the floors and everything. And he came by a little later and he said, hey, I apologize. I didn't even ask your name. And I said, my name is Pastor Chris Theobald from Freedom Baptist Church. His eyes got that big. And he said, Pastor, I am so sorry. He said, if I'd have known you as a pastor, I wouldn't have had you cleaning the bathroom. And I said, well, I'm glad you didn't know I was a pastor then. I was like, because I have no problem cleaning the bathroom. And I, and I say that to say, listen, our title, our financial statement or anything else ought not to change the way that we serve. If I went in there and said, bathroom, do you not know that I am the pastor? Like, I want to sit in the office with the air conditioning and tell you what to do. What would that say about my attitude? 
You know, we ought to be willing to do anything that is asked of us to further the kingdom of God. If cleaning that bathroom means that folks have a place to come in off the streets and get fed and hear the gospel, I'll clean that toilet every week. And I mean that because it matters. It's not insignificant in the eyes of God. But for a lot of people, they, they won't do certain jobs because it's beneath them. They won't do it. And that should not be the attitude of a believer. And it doesn't just carry over into the works that we do. It carries over into the people we associate with. There are times that we are just like the priest in the story of the Good Samaritan. We see certain people and we cross the street to avoid them. We don't want to talk to them. We don't want to go down to East Avenue and associate with the homeless and the drug addicts. Because they're dirty and they're messy and they're scary looking. And we want to avoid those people. We want to minister to the nice clean people in K. Russo Baptist Church that come in here that are comfortable. And we have to check our attitudes, guys. Because Jesus died for those homeless drug addicts down on East Avenue. He died for those prostitutes. And without Jesus, they're lost. And if we care enough, we ought to be willing to go if that's what it takes to reach them. If that's what it takes to reach them. We should not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And lastly, and we'll close with this, he says, never be wise in your own sight. This requires a humble attitude. It requires a humble attitude. And I think Paul was kind of quoting from Proverbs 3, 7. says there, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There are so many today that are too proud to be taught anything. They have such an arrogance about them. Have you ever met that person? Maybe I used to work with a guy like that and knew everything. Knew everything. I'll tell you what. One of the greatest gatherings of brilliant minds or people that know just about everything is on the internet. If, if you go on Facebook, you can find some of the smartest, wisest people that have ever existed. You can ask a question on Facebook about anything. And you will find lawyers, theologians, virologists, political science majors, you, listen, they might not have a GED, but if you post it on Facebook, they know everything about that topic and they will make sure that they tell you that they do. It's amazing to me how much people think they know and how little they actually do and how much they want to talk and they're not saying nothing. I'm just being honest. We have gotten to a place where we are so arrogant that we can't be taught anything. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is just be quiet. I think it was Mark Twain that said, better to shut your mouth and be known as a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. That's true. Leon Morris, who wrote a commentary on Romans, he said this, the person who is wise in his own eyes is rarely so in the eyes of other people. You may think you are God's gift to earth, but I can promise you that most people don't want me around you. Know-it-alls and arrogant people, man, they're hard to be around for more than five minutes. They sure are. Don't be that person, especially as a believer. You should not exude arrogance. You ought to be humble. You ought to be teachable. You ought to know what you believe and stand on those convictions, but you ought to never walk around as though you've got this all figured out. I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Nobody can tell me nothing. Every doctrine that I believe is right, nobody else is right. 
My eschatology is perfect. My soteriology is perfect. My pneumatology is perfect. Any ology you want to ask me about, I know everything about it. If you walk around like that, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong frame of mind. Be what the Word of God says. Stand on those convictions, but be teachable. Because I can promise you, if you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ long enough, there's going to be some things that you believed when you was first saved that you don't believe anymore. That God changed your opinion on some stuff. Absolutely. Not, not, not major doctrine things. Not that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is by grace through faith that you're saved. Those things better never change. But your end times position may change. You know, you may change on some other things. And that's okay. That's alright. Be teachable. I want you to think about these words as we close. I'm going to invite Phyllis and Nathan to come. In Philippians chapter 2, it, that's one of the greatest chapters to me about the Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about Him leaving heaven and becoming a servant, emptying Himself. And one of the verses there, I believe it's verse 5 of Philippians 2, says, Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. There's a lot to say about that, and I've already said enough. But think about this. Having the mind of Christ in us is not only something that the Bible tells us we ought to strive for, it's something that we can attain to. Minds are transformed by this Word. Our actions are transformed as our insides are changed. But I want you to think about this. Our attitudes often quench the Spirit. Our attitudes often grieve the Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you're trying to worship God, but your attitude all week has stunk. Or your attitude stunk for a long time. You can't come in here with a rotten attitude and offer God good fruit. You just can't. You need to repent of your bad attitude as I've had to do several times this week and say, Lord, let what's on the inside be reflected in my attitude, in my thoughts, in my speech, and in my actions. I'm not preaching today to tell you to just be a good moral person and live a better life and that you'll earn favor with God. I'm telling you today that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That only He can forgive sin. But I'm telling you that as believers, we are called to a different life. We are called to a separated life. There is a standard that we ought to exhibit. And if we are falling short, the answer is not work harder and try more. The answer is repent, confess, and surrender to Jesus. And let Him do the work in your life. But if you continue to rebel, <clears throat> if you continue to push Him aside, you may have escaped judgment of hell, but you won't escape the chastisement of God. You're walking in a dangerous place if you continue to live in sin as a believer. And I would turn to him today and say, I want to come home. I want to get things right today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you thankful that you, through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes and show us ourselves from the inside out, Lord. We often look very pretty on the outside and have all sorts of mess on the inside. And I'm glad that you know that already, that you're not caught off guard or surprised by that. I'm thankful that you love us enough to not leave us in our sin. That you clean us up from the inside out. That you cause us to be born again to a living hope. And Father, as your people, we want to the best of our ability, live for you and glorify you with our lives. So help us to do that today by turning from our sin, from repenting of our sins, and asking you to help us to live obediently every day. Lord, for the one here today that may be lost or watching online, please today, Lord, open their eyes, draw them into your presence. 
that they might call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.